what I use culinary medicine for is helping others reestablish or getting them acquainted to using the kitchen, their own kitchen, to take back their health. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. Welcome to another episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Today we're talking about flatten the curve. In the spring, it was used to inspire us to social distance in the middle of a pandemic. And somewhere in the last couple of months, it's turned into a meme about uh, the challenge with managing weight during a pandemic, living at home in a sedentary lifestyle. And that's the question for you. Are you struggling with your weight? Do you struggle to talk to patients about their weight? Do you struggle to deal with diet issues when they so often can be impacting our health? If any of these sound like something that's floated through your mind in the last couple of months, then hopefully you'll really enjoy the conversation we're going to have today. I'd like to welcome Dr. Colin Zhu to the Prosperous Doc podcast. He is also the host of the Thrive Bites podcast. He's a traveling physician who focuses on a number of things, not the least of which is culinary medicine, lifestyle medicine, and Thrive medicine. We're going to unpack the whole thing today. Colin, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Shane. I uh, feel very uh, privileged and honored to be on your show and excited. Yeah, I think we're going to do some good work. Now, let's just open with the softball, which is I say tomato, you say... No, just kidding. All right. Um, (laughs) See, rule number one is you just got to keep the guests on edge a little bit. So uh, we're going to be talking about culinary medicine today, a concept, you know, that isn't widely known. But before we go there... Can you tell us just a little bit about kind of your background and how you got where you are today? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks for that question. So I'm Colin Zhu, basically born and raised in New Jersey, born to two fabulous immigrant parents. They're both Chinese in background. I'm a board certified you know, physician. I practice uh, family medicine. I'm also board certified in lifestyle medicine, and I'm based in LA. And so you're training has come, I think, both from your clinical training, medical school residency, and from uh, maybe osmosis a little bit from your, from your mom? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my journey began where my mother, she's a Chinese medical doctor. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's uh, a system of using a lot of what the body you know, has that is out of balance, right? So traditional Chinese medicine dates back a couple of thousands of years. And it's an ancient system that is still being practiced very, very heavily now, even in the United States, where you're using different, you know, looking at the face, you're looking at, you know, someone's tongue, you're reading someone's pulses, different ways of diagnoses and different ways of treating the underlying condition. And uh, my mom has been in practice for, you know, and she's still in practice. Uh, she's 71 to like four decades. She instilled in me having worked in her office, you know, when I was younger, she instilled in me how to look at the person, the patient in a very holistic way. So she instilled in me like prevention, wellness, compassion, listening to the person. And so those were the values and skill sets that I've brought with me. And that's the direction that I took going into medicine. And so at first I wanted to marry both East and West. Little did I know when I went into medical school, 
I was in medical school in West Virginia. If you take a Jersey boy and put it into West Virginia in the beautiful Appalachian Mountains, it's a huge you know, shift, you know, but people are great. They're perfect place to study. But yeah, what I realized was a lot of similarities in terms of medical school, for those who are not familiar, and I know that I'm speaking to peers as well, is that you get hit hard a lot with how do drugs work and how does disease come about, right? But what it does little or less of is learning about how to keep the body well, right? How to maintain the body, prevention. And that includes nutrition and lifestyle related education. And there's a paucity of that. I think the latest statistics is only about like a quarter of medical schools actually require a nutritional course. And so when I mentored and followed a lot of my predecessors, I realized that a lot of the patients that, he, that they see, a lot of what they go through, there's always a lifestyle, food, or diet-related component. And I said to myself, well, I'm not being equipped enough to handle this. What do I got to do? So I took it upon myself to take a lot of detours, and I've taken a lot of non-traditional routes. And I went into culinary school. I you know, got certified in health coaching, did this and did that. And I used that skill set to be able to enhance what I do today. In addition to my family medicine, public speak, I you know, hold workshops, I demonstrate to be able to impact as many people as possible because I knew that with the advent of the internet, social media, and now with the pandemic, you want to be able to hit people and reach people a lot further than my own four walls of you know, a patient room. And so that's what I've used my experiences and, and skill set to what I do today. How do you define or how would you describe kind of what you call culinary medicine? So culinary medicine is not something that I came up with. It's been coined you know, a few years back. I think it started with Dr. John LaPuma, MD. He was the original chef MD. It's blending the culinary arts, the art of cooking, with the science of medicine and nutrition, essentially. So you're using evidence-based science of food and nutrition and translating that to practical skills to use in your own life. So it's basically what I use culinary medicine for is helping others reestablish or getting them acquainted to using the kitchen, their own kitchen to take back their health. Because I feel like in order to reset or start back again in terms of taking back their health really starts in the kitchen. The pandemic is a good example of it forces you to get back into the kitchen because you can't go out to restaurants or, I mean, you do have delivery systems now, but essentially you know what's going into your food, right? And I like to use the word food outsourcing, because essentially, if you're not cooking, you're outsourcing your food to a delivery service, to a restaurant, to a takeout, to fast food. And you're subjugating your food that you put in three times a day or more to other people that don't have your health as their best interests. They only have their profits and their business and their bottom line as their best interests. So Mm -hmm. what do you have? You know, you have people cutting corners, reducing costs for their ingredients to create their product, and you're putting that into your mouth. It's bridging that gap in terms of food, nutrition, and, you know, how that directly impacts your overall health and well-being. So that's what culinary medicine, that's what I use that for. 
Is culinary medicine an area of focus and passion for you that you teach others who know they want to know more about food and how it impacts their body through your own podcasts, again, Thrive Bites podcast or, or through lectures or things like that? Or is it, is it an area where you've served your patients for those who come to see the doctor for some other issue and you help educate them on here's how yeah. what you're putting in your body could be impacting you? Yeah. So great question. It's all the above. I don't really... Okay. It's overt uh, I, I and covert at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't select it. I do my best to kind of sprinkle it in however I can, because I feel like even if you don't cook, it's really the awareness and the education that I impart to someone is really going to be the game changer for them to reverse a certain disease. Like for example... I don't know if not a lot of people know, but we have evidence since for 30 years now, since 1990, that a whole food plant-based approach reverses heart disease, diabetes, and early stages of prostate cancer. That's in the literature, but that's not headlines. Yep. So, you know, it's really about really about imparting knowledge to people. I think that's more impactful than me writing a prescription or a referral to a specialist. I do where I can. You know, I counsel to my patients. I speak about it. I do it in workshops and demonstrations. So I, I do it. I do my best to sprinkle it wherever I can. Yeah, yeah. And you talk, I think, about not just culinary medicine, but you've already used the word lifestyle medicine and I think thrive medicine. So what's the difference here? How do they work together? Yeah. So culinary lifestyle and thrive are three components that I teach and impart. So. I created an online platform called The Chef Doc, which in January of 2021 would be four years since uh, its inception. It's basically an online resource focusing on those three things. So we talked about culinary medicine. Lifestyle medicine is using evidence-based lifestyle-related approaches to prevent, treat, and reverse chronic lifestyle-related diseases. So it focuses on six pillars, you know, diet and lifestyle, physical fitness, relationships, community, avoiding risky substances, and sleep. Okay. So it's using the science behind all those six pillars to be able to impart to someone to better their health. And Thrive Medicine is something that I came up with based off of my personal journeys and professional journeys. I've um, been blessed and humbly grateful for the life that I've lived. You know, I've been able to touch every continent on this planet I've been able to, you know, I'm a triathlete. I have a great circle of family and friends. So I consider myself, you know, I thrive in my own life. And so I want to be able to impart that to others. In Thrive Medicine, it's a concept, you know, it's also a book where I list out different call to actions, action steps to do this for, you know, your own life, to be able to apply this for your own life, to be able to take your life from this level to another level. Because mm -hmm. I think as a society, we've been conditioned to when you're born to go to school, right? And you get a certain degree, get a job, get married, have some babies, and then retire and then perish. And I felt like that standard formula, I didn't really... For some people, it works. But for me, I felt like there needed to be a lot more flavor to that. There needed to be more spice to that. There needed to be more vitality from that specific pathway. And so 
I've lived my life very non-traditionally and both personally and professionally. And so I wanted to use my story to illustrate how someone else can do something different Mm -hmm. uh, with their lives. When you talk with patients who are coming in because there's something that feels wrong to them, what's the biggest struggle that I guess you hear from them when you share the lessons you've learned and try to educate them about the importance of what they're putting in their body and how they're spending their time and those sorts of things? Is it appreciative? Or I guess I'm wondering, you know, is it, look, doc, this is a big, long answer. I was hoping there was a script at the end of this. (laughs) So as a family doc, you know, for those of you who don't know, we see everyone from delivering newborn baby to all the way to advancing age and everyone in between. And so I get a, a variety of stuff. But what I love to do and I feel that I'm good at is connecting the dots for people. And usually when someone comes to me for a certain complaint or problem, there's usually a deeper underlying source to their concern, pain, or struggle that's not really connected with why they come in. And I do my best. Give me an example. So for example, let's just say you have a teenager that comes in and they say that they can't concentrate in school, but they have a hard time focusing, right? And so, you know, you could chalk it up to anxiety, depression, ADHD, something like that. But when you go deeper, you realize that their um, household is chaotic. Their parents, they have a very abusive relationship. Their relationship with maybe, you know, I've had patients where they've been sexually molested. I've had patients where, you know, they went through foster care and they haven't mentally been seen or evaluated properly. So my job is being able to connect the dots and I love finding the source. I'm not a person that works at the surface level. You tell me a bunch of symptoms and then we'll be done with it. It's not as simple as that. It's really about getting to the underlying, you love you know, the value of people's stories. So mine, mine's the same. I love the value of understanding where they come from, what's important to them and helping them navigate where their cause is, where their source is. Because once you can fix the cause, then everything else makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? So the perfect analogy to this is most of modern medicine is really mopping up a wet floor instead of turning off the faucet. What I love doing is helping them turn off the faucet. What's the biggest myth about a plant-based diet? I would say the biggest myth about a plant-based diet is you don't get, you know, your optimum nutrition. A whole foods plant-based diet, you don't get your optimum nutrition. Where's the protein? Where's the calcium? Am I just eating a salad? And it's uh, none of the above. You do get your optimum nutrition if you're eating, you know, from groups like the vegetable group, the fruit group, nuts and seeds, whole grains, beans, and legumes, right? And you're avoiding you're minimally eating or avoiding animal-based foods, oils, and refined and processed carbohydrates, sugars, things like that. That's what a plant, whole foods, plant-based definition is. And the only thing you would have to supplement if you were on that is vitamin B12, because it's made by microorganisms that we've basically killed off in modern agriculture. Whether you're a meat eater or a plant eater, vitamin B12 and vitamin D because we're also a society of indoor creatures. So we don't get as much sun exposure. I live in LA 
And I still have a lot of vitamin D deficiencies in my patients. So I tell them to supplement. So you get all your nutrition. It's a myth that you don't get enough protein through plants. It's a myth that you don't get enough calcium. It's not as boring as a salad. There's a whole variety of what you can do. Who's really good at vegetarian, vegan, or plant-based fare is the Mexicans, the Indians, Southeast Asians, the Filipinos, the Vietnamese, the Chinese, the Thai, you know, like we're really good at food preparation. Most people, they just care about flavor and what it looks like. You can create a lot of good food that's good for you and Mm -hmm. still look and taste great. Tell me the story of a patient that you came across that you've, you know, just seen a transformation or has been helped by just the education that you provide to them. I've had a patient when I was in training. He was a chronic patient of my professor, very, very nice guy. He was probably in the 60s and he was overweight. I started learning about lifestyle medicine when I was a resident, actually, back in 2013. I started applying the skills and education to that patient because as a a trainee, as a a doctor in training or a resident, you see the same patients as your professors. And so they just kind of like advise you and tweak and, you know, certain things. And so I was seeing that same patient. So let's just call him Mr. Smith. So Mr. Smith, he's been a a patient of my uh, professor for many, many years, and he's a diabetic and he's overweight. So I was giving him lifestyle related education And I just tell him, you know what, Mr. Smith, I know you're having a hard time with your diabetes. I want you to not only fix up, you know, what you put in your mouth, but I just want you to move. He had a hard time with fitness and physical activity. So I told him, I need you to do something that you will be able to enjoy because if you're not going to enjoy, you're not going to continue it. I just want you to start walking, find a sidewalk, find a trail, find, you know, a beach, whatever, just find something that's cost-effective and that you're going to do. So he started walking and I kid you not, he took that and went beyond with that. And uh, his diabetes number score, his A1C dropped like over the span of maybe like uh, three months or six months, his diabetes score dropped three points. And he was doing a couple thousands of steps a day. Now he does it on his own. I didn't even tell him to do this, but he started walking five miles a day. And this is before COVID, right? And so he shed a lot of weight. He dropped a lot of pant size. And this is in conjunction with his diabetic meds, his other specialists, and his diet. You know, it's, an, it's part of a comprehensive wellness plan for him. I needed to start cutting down medication for him. And that's the beauty of lifestyle medicine is that you start to de-prescribe medication for people or else the side effects actually outweigh the benefits at yeah, that yeah. point. That's tremendous. That's a great example of just the value of thinking and looking holistically and connecting with your patients kind of where they are mentally and emotionally with their care. When we come back from this quick break, I want to talk with you a little bit about just overall wellness and the pandemic and the COVID stress that is affecting everyone in medicine these days. So we'll be right back after this break. When it comes to retirement planning, we've been told by magazines, websites, and podcasts that the most important ingredient to solve is knowing our number. That is, the total amount of savings and investments that will be required to maintain your standard of living once you stop working full-time. In reality, though, there are actually three important I's when it comes to retirement planning. 
The first is certainly knowing how to replace your income once you retire. But the other two eyes are just as important. Where will you find your identity and where will you find your influence? These are the two aspects that make a working career so fulfilling, identity and influence, the intellectual stimulation, the relational connections, the sense of being needed and making a difference every day, the opportunity to talk about projects and progress when you're with friends or neighbors or at a party. Identity and influence are the things that make life fulfilling. So as you plan for retirement, make sure to identify ways to replace all of the components that have been meaningful in your work, income, identity, and influence. These ingredients together will help ensure that you have the prosperous retirement that you've longed for. This financial wellness tip is brought to you by the great financial advisors at Spa Dameron Tenney, helping doctors and dentists for over 60 years make smart financial decisions. You can learn more at sdtplanning.com. To learn more about retirement planning, you can access the free retirement readiness quiz brought to you by Spa Dameron Tenney. The link is in the show notes below. So Colin, we've spent the first half of the show talking about your passion for culinary medicine, lifestyle medicine, thrive medicine, and just the tremendous impact that that perspective can take in working with patients. I know wellness is a big part of what you talk about on your own podcast, Thrive Bites, and through your work with patients. Wellness is a tough topic this year. You know, I interview docs for this show every other week, and it's stressful. COVID is, is wearing people thin, uh, whether they're telemedicine, whether it's the financial pressure of reduced visits in the ER for our emergency docs, you know, whether it's elective surgeries being put on hold for the second quarter. It's a stressful, all the PPE that people are having to wear. What's your thoughts on, on what's going on and, and how it's impacting your colleagues around the country? I looked on the news this morning or last night, and you know, we're over 300,000 deaths. And a lot of respects, it's a lot of tragedy. It's a lot of unnecessary deaths and people being sick and you know, all this other stuff. It is a huge burden on us as globally. It's a huge burden on our healthcare system and all the frontline workers, essential workers, things like that. And I definitely share my regards and the pains and you know, everything with all my peers. I'm hoping with the vaccines and with the new administration that we have better leadership, better mandates, and just a new way of perspectives of how to handle this. But on the other side, I'm also a person that looks at the silver lining is that I think it uncovered a lot of gaps in healthcare that wasn't that obvious that we need to address. It opened up a lot of health disparities, especially of the black and brown communities. In terms of people, in terms of business owners, it, to me, it will test how resilient we need to be and how much or how little we need to pivot in our own lives. And I think it also gives us pause to what are we doing in our lives? Who am I at the end of the day? How am I moving forward? And how am I going to contribute to society? Because what we say and what we do as you could see, not only in the news and 
it impacts and influences others. And you wearing a mask or you not wearing a mask influences others. So every action that we take, every word, you know, I've studied a lot from a lot of thought leaders is that even the word has a lot of power to it. Mm. So you have to be very mindful in terms of what you say and what you do, because believe it or not, it influences someone else, impacts someone else. So I think we all have a responsibility as a fellow human being to be able to impact, at least be more mindful in terms of what we're actually impacting others, you know, and how do I show up as a fellow human being, as a family member, as a community member, as a friend, colleague, peer, whatever, you know, we all have different roles. And so it's a reminder of how do I play that role and how do I redefine that for the next chapter of this planet and how am I going to impact others and our environment? So, yeah, there's a lot going on this year. That's for sure. You talked about kind of where where you think COVID and just the way our whole society and medicine is having to adapt is kind of revealing some of the gaps in medicine. Obviously, we're all aware of just the explosion, which I think most would agree with has been good around virtual medicine, televisits, things like that. Are there other, I guess, what are the gaps that you were thinking of or that that you've seen that are kind of being remedied or being addressed or acknowledged as a result of how we're handling? I'm going to use an analogy. It's like walking on a trail, you see this large rock, right? And you lift up the rock and you realize that there's a whole microcosm of stuff there, earthworms and ants and all kinds of insects. So what COVID did for the healthcare system was, and we knew this as you know, healthcare professionals, was lifting up the rock and realizing there's so many gaps in terms of like health disparities. Health disparities meaning like, you know, how the black and brown communities are disproportionately getting sicker and dying in proportion to everything because of it. And what I mean by that is, you know, because everything is grounded from systemic racism. And if you look at so many different things like the housing and urban HUD laws, the housing discriminatory laws, different pockets of the world, if you look at the map, there's a certain housing map and you see that white communities are concentrated in certain areas versus black and brown communities are concentrated in certain areas. And if you look at where they are in relation to how they get access to things, like a supermarket or access to healthcare, you know, things like that, you'd be surprised like that kind of access is completely different when you're comparing the white and black and brown communities. And that contributes to how well or how healthy they're going to get. And that contributes to all the pre-existing conditions that contributes to all the risk factors, contributes to why they are disproportionately dying off from COVID. If it weren't for COVID, just look at heart disease. You know, 300,000 is a lot, right? But heart disease, do you know how many deaths annually? Number one killer in, in, in America is heart disease. We have between 600 and 700 deaths per year from heart disease. That's more than double COVID. And if we apply that same energy in terms of how we want to address COVID to heart disease, we can save a lot more. But the thing is, is that heart disease is a slow dying condition. Cancer is a slow dying condition. So the immediate effects, you don't see it immediately. Whereas COVID, you can pass away within like 48 or 72 hours. Heart disease and cancer, you don't. So 
it, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, important. Yeah, and I know you're talking about just redlining and how the impact that it's had on our society, our culture, and the access to medicine and just wellness for disenfranchised segments of our society. I was talking with an executive of a hospital system a couple of months ago, you know, mid-COVID. And like you were saying, Colin, the silver lining, he said, well, one thing is that in the span of three weeks, the board allowed us to spend the money we've been asking for for four years to implement telemedicine or virtual medicine. And his their hospital system has been trying, like so many others, to be able to offer a way to connect to people who aren't geographically aligned with their their offices. And so we know yeah. that most everybody is comfortable with technology. Now it's easier to, you know, hopefully we'll see trends improve in the coming years as people have access to, yeah. to docs. And yeah. To and and, and, and just, a, just an observation for those that, you know, have a shed a better light, you know, with our healthcare system is that the people are t- up top are generally not in the backgrounds of patient care. They're in the backgrounds of business and administrative, you know, roles, you know, and we're the people on ground level seeing patients on a Mm -hmm. clinical care. And there's a huge dichotomy. And that's why you have things like the example you said, it took us four years to get this when it could have happened sooner. So it's bridging that gap of understanding that the people up top, if we had people at top had experience with seeing patients on the floor, Mm -hmm. there would be a bigger difference in understanding why doctors are asking for this or doctors are needing this. For those of you who may not know, doctors, you know, a large part of this are also treated unfairly as well. So I think COVID, you know, just kind of uncovered a lot of things that we didn't know or we took a blind eye to. So yeah, the word of the decade in the world of business has been disruption and how, you know, the, uh, the rental car business has been disrupted by Airbnb and the taxi business has been disrupted by Lyft and Uber. I heard somebody say a couple of weeks ago, he said, yeah, I think COVID just came and just disrupted all of life. So it's just yeah. got to shake everything around and help everybody take a fresh look at what's important and what decisions they're making. Colin, it's been great chatting with you today. For folks listening, kind of intrigued by your story, your vision, your passion, how, how can they get in touch with you? Talk a little bit about some of your points of contact. So my website for the Chef Doc is uh, www.chefdoczoo.com. So C-H-E-F-D-O-C-Z as in zebra, Z-H-U.com. And I use Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and I go by the handle of the Chef Doc. If you just go to the website, you'll find everything there. There's a lot of great resources for people to use if you're interested in the topics that I put out there. And listen to the podcasts. The podcast focuses on, you know, plant-based, you know, living, enhancing our emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. So I release episodes every two weeks. It's in its third season. Yeah, it's uh, doing pretty well. We're heard in uh, 90 countries and I interview doctors, dietitians, coaches, and just really passionate people. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the podcast is Thrive Bites, B-I-T-E-S, not B-Y-T-E-S, for those of you who also have a computer head. Thanks for being with us, Colin Ju. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Appreciate your attention as always. Welcome your reviews on uh, iTunes or Google Play. Welcome your feedback. You can email me directly, Shane at White Coat Well with any thoughts, suggestions, guests, ideas, or praise. We'll take that too. 
As always, we got more episodes rolling out. And so we welcome you to subscribe and uh, have you be part of the family. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.